is the Matter of Perspective geopolitical podcast series of the Danube Institute. My guests today are going to be Fanny Korpic, a research fellow at the Danube Institute, and Tomasz Pletcher, oil and gas analyst of the Erste Bank. Thank you for accepting the invitation. At the center of our focus today will be energy. We are going to be discussing how the global energy market has changed during the last six months and what the central European states can do to overcome the effects of shortage and price explosion. My name is Peter Sitas. I'm also a research fellow at the Danube Institute and today the host of our discussion. So let's begin. Opinion forming international papers say it anonymously that we are facing a global energy crisis. However, this is not the first one in history. In the case of crude oil between 74 and 82, the world experienced two crises when oil prices exceeded $144 per barrel. Also in the first decade of the new millennium between 2000 and 2008, the oil prices rose dramatically, reaching their peak, which was around $189. At the very moment, the price of crude oil is approximately half of that, $93. On the other hand, at the petrol station, we pay more than we have ever had. The latter fact is also true for our natural gas and electricity bills. What is behind this phenomenon? Is this only the outcome of the Russian-Ukrainian war, or are there other factors that contribute to the extreme rise in prices? Yes, thank you very much for the invitation. I see at least uh, three reasons why we experience probably the third uh, energy and natural resource boom. As you, as you duly said, uh, the first one was between 74 and 82, and the second was between 2000 and 2008. And I believe this is going to be the third one. And the three reasons are the following. Uh, first of all, there is a secular reason. Secular, I mean, the world is changing. We see at least two challenges on the developed world and on the, uh, the developing world. The developed world is facing a challenge of uh, energy transition. Basically, we want to cut the CO2 and other global greenhouse gas emissions. While the developing world is still in need of further energy, I see basically that the middle income uh, or class of the world is growing. We see a plenty of households in India, China, who would like to consume much more, which requires energy. So this is the so-called, I call it a secular reason. There's also a second reason, which I call the cyclical reason. If you look the last 10 years, and if you look what was the investment into oil and gas, as well as other natural resources, they were significantly below those levels, which would require to meet this challenge of uh, additional supply. There are some estimates, what I read, that uh, at least $3 trillion is missing from the oil and gas uh, sphere alone, which would be needed to, uh, you know, uh, supply the world appropriately with, with oil and gas. And finally, the geopolitical issues, and it's not only Russian, Russia and Ukraine, but if you think about that we have three uh, countries at the moment under Western sanctions, Venezuela, which has, you know, the largest oil reserves in the world, Iran, which has the largest gas reserves, and now Russia recently, which is the number one gas producer in the world and the number three oil producer. So having sanctions against three very important producers in the oil and gas area 
that's a little bit too much at the same time. Thank you very much for um, uh, having invited me too. Um, I'm, I would like to just add that I also think that uh, there are several reasons uh, why we experience this upcoming shortage. Um, and it's not only the war uh, in Ukraine. But it's also because of the changing habits of the consumers that people started to consume a lot more yet. They pay a lot more attention to what would be the environmentalist decision in this case. And sometimes um, these two perceptions are not in tune with each other because we want to consume more and at the same time, we would like to save the planet, which might not be a feasible um, future plan. Uh, of course, there is also uh, this uh, geopolitical reason too. And, uh, and there is um, a huge difference between uh, societies in developed and developing countries. So um, what we should uh, keep in mind is um, that in developed countries, we might be more successful in changing the society's perceptions towards energy consumption. While for developing countries, and especially India, I don't know if you can say that China is a developing country anymore, but these countries, these societies are just experiencing now what consuming a lot might mean, might add to the standard of living, and it would be very problematic convincing them to start economizing again when they just escaped that kind of a life. Okay, but how can we change modern societies? I would say that the first um, and most important thing would be the education of, of uh, people towards this goal. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm not uh, too um, idealistic in thinking that we can change people's consume, consuming uh, habits, consumer habits, because uh, it has always been the supply side, especially on the energy market, that influenced how people consumed the energy. So uh, this is a um, sector where we need large infrastructure, expensive infrastructure, that can only be built by states and huge companies. So this is what we offer people that matters. For example, if we think about the renewable energy, it would be um, more useful if we change the energy infrastructure in a way that we can incorporate into our energy mix renewable resources as well. Um, I don't find it very feasible to ask people to you know, advocate for, for changing the infrastructure because no one has the time to do that. And... Um, what people want is to go on smoothly with their lives uh, as they know it. So I would say that the most important thing would be the change in infrastructure and the change in energy mindset from the part of the suppliers. Uh, I would add two things what, what Fanny said. First of all, I, what I see that uh, our problems in the developed world, they differ from those ones which the developing world has. So developed world is very worried about the global climate change and you know think about how to make uh, the whole world green. While on the developing markets, I think the main constraint is whether we can access to energy and what kind of energy 
it's probably a little bit uh, less important. So they want energy because they want to develop. And most of these people in India and China, they are at that stage where uh, for further development, they need additional energy. Whether it is a fossil one or a renewable one, for, for them it's almost uh, not important. Of course, the cost is important. The second issue I wanted to add over here is that I see a little bit discrepancy how the Western thinking is. Because on one side, we want to be uh, green and we want to have a green energy without hurting our economy. On the other side, uh, when you ask people whether they would limit their consumption, they would say no. So these two things are somehow you know, contradictory. And I believe that our problems in the environment cannot be solved without uh, persuading the people to consume less. This might come either from internally, from the people themselves, or can come from externally. I mean, the governments may constrain it, or the markets themselves may constrain the people uh, to consume more. You mentioned the access to the energy, and thanks to the recent news broadcast, it has become part even of the Central European consensual knowledge that the region we live in lacks energy sources and raw materials. And until February 2022, the preferred country for gas or oil import was the Russian Federation. Uh, not just members of the former Eastern Bloc, but also countries like Italy or Germany imported gas from there. How have European energy routes, and I'm not thinking just for oil and gas, but also electricity, uranium maybe. So how have these routes modified since the outbreak of the Russian-Ukrainian war? And how long may it take if even possible, to completely get rid of the raw materials originating in Russia? Well, contrary to the uh, common uh, expectation, uh, nothing has been changed significantly yet because uh, we rely very much on the Russian uh, oil and gas and uh, also uh, other energy forms like uranium you mentioned. Uh, but uh, some steps have already been taken. The major change what I see that Russia started to uh, deliver less gas to the region, which caused the gas prices to go up. Uh, regarding oil and gas, regarding oil, we still consume a lot of Russian feedstock, uh, and we are very vulnerable, especially in the oil derivative side. I mean, diesel, for example. I mean, Europe is importing 90% of its diesel deficit from Russia. Of course, this is going to be changed uh, from the 5th of December and February next year when the sanctions will step in. Uh, but uh, generally, what I see that the ch these changes are slow and uh, we need at least 5-10 years you know, to change our system uh, to reduce the dependence on Russia significantly. So uh, contrary to the common knowledge, the, not, not a lot of things had happened so much, but to, in the next five to 10 years, we can expect a lot to happen. There is one thing that I would like to add to um, this argument is that if we look at countries, we can only see rare examples of countries that are totally energetically independent from other countries. Most countries import energy from other countries, especially those that lack raw materials uh, in this regard. And um, in a recent research, I've been looking at the renewable resources of Europe. And what I can see on, on this continent and in uh, Central Europe uh, as well, that if we combined what we can exploit 
together, we could create a very effective infrastructure in uh, Europe because um, there are um, very different climate situations on the continent. So, for example, in the southern uh, countries, we could uh, exploit the solar energy more in um, countries with a huge seaside we could exploit the wind energy more because onshore and offshore wind turbines produce more than the ones on um, on land and also uh, the rivers are placed in a way that only some countries can build um, hydropower plants that can provide enough energy and then comes that we have to transport these uh, resources to the consumers. So um, I wouldn't say that it is a bad thing to cooperate in energy uh, questions. And what we should keep in mind is who we want to cooperate with. So we should create an energy mix in this trade that um, we do not rely on only one country a lot. So we we can create an infrastructure, of course, building that infrastructure would cost more because it wouldn't go to only one direction, but to several directions. Um, but in the long run, I think it would pay off. Both of you have mentioned that new infrastructure is needed. Who is going to pay the price for that? Because these are very extremely expensive investment and for they are meant to work for a long run. However, Europe has some other goals, have some other aims. And and how can we combine those two? Well, definitely the we should need to spend much more money on infrastructure. So I mentioned already in this podcast at the beginning that we underinvested oil and gas. This was even more true for uh, energy infrastructure in Europe. The European uh, fleet of uh, power plants, for example, are very old. So in France, uh, an average age of a nuclear plant is over 30 years. They have to uh, replace all of these uh, plants with new ones. That's the same with Germany. And actually, that's the same for Central and Eastern Europe as well. So we we need to spend significantly more on these. Uh, And I agree with what Fanny said, that we are uh, an integrated market in oil and gas and electricity as well. So when we talk about national markets, it makes for me less and less sense. Hungary is also part of Europe. So what happens to Germany and German electricity market, it matters to us as well. Or what happens to the Italian gas market is also a matter. So it's a it's a common market, which we need to restructure it. And we have to also keep in mind that we want to be green. So we have a lot of tasks to do at the same time, which is a very big challenge. I mean, decrease the dependence on Russia, build up a new infrastructure and become green at the same time. I agree that it's a huge challenge and I, I'm i not able to answer where we are going to find the funds for that. But um, I would uh, like to stress on one point here, um, that if we look at the renewable energy market, um, we have been assessing it as the fossil fuel market. But in the fossil fuel market, if you sign a contract, you buy an actually existing material. But when you sign a contract for renewable energy, 
that resource doesn't exist yet. So it's more like the market of the agricultural products. So what we would need is a new structure to, for this trade, uh, in my opinion, because uh, renewable energy is based on the weather. So the weather is something that mankind cannot influence, not yet at least. Uh, so, um, so what we should do is to try and understand how the weather works, how the climate works. For example, if, um, if somewhere we see that, for example, in the north of Europe, it's getting wetter and wetter every year. So maybe that would be a good idea to uh, invest in hydropower plants there and invest in solar power plants in the south of Europe because there's more and more sunlight there. Um, and then try to create a market that would be more flexible than um, what we do with the fossil energy market because that is a different story and we maybe we shouldn't um, treat them as one because they are very different yeah the differences between you know fossils and, and renewables i think i think that was perfectly uh, you know said uh, we have one major problem with renewables. That's how to store the the electricity because it's not only not uh, available hundred percent. It's an intermittent energy, uh, and this uh, creates some problems. And uh, basically, there are two ways uh, to solve the situation or to tackle this situation: either to build up a significant and significant storage capacity. Unfortunately, it is very expensive, and uh, the efficiency of this is very low. Or the other solution, uh, and this is, I think, the direction in Europe, to build up a large system. Because when you have a large system, uh, some energy is always available at, at uh, some part of this value chain. So either, let's say, in Spain, the, the wind is, is good now, then we can take the wind energy from Spain and to the, to the rest of the continent. Or another time, maybe the, the solar energy is, good, is better in Greece. Then we can take the, the Greek, you know, solar uh, up to the north. So building a big system allows a significantly higher employment of renewable energy. And that is an advantage, and that's where actually Europe is going right now. Both of the ways, this increasing the storage capacity or building large systems are extremely expensive investments. And there is an also other side of it, for example, building hydroelectric or water power plants, it has definitely uh, influence on the, on the nature. How can we put these two aims into one? Because in my opinion, a huge, I, I remember it was 30, 30 years ago, and there was a huge scandal about when in Hungary they wanted to build Nagymaros power plant. And I think no government who wants to stay in office would like to uh, give a go for such operation. Well, unfortunately, every step what the humankind is doing has a price. The question is, the, what price are we willing to pay? And uh, also the decisions are highly dependent on the ideologies and on the beliefs of the people. So in Hungary, for example, the hydropower is a kind of a taboo, but people don't want to touch. After this political uh, issue of Börsnaimoros, what you mentioned, the support of hydropower is very low. On the other side, the Hungarians are very much supporting the nuclear power, unlike the Germans, where the nuclear power is almost like an evil. 
So uh, it's not only, unfortunately, a technological question, but it's also a question what we employ on the ideology and on the belief or misbelief of the people. And again, uh, I come back to the diversification of the market, because if in one country they are in favor of um, of generating nuclear energy, then we can export that to the rest of Europe, for example. And if in one country the population is very much against of hydropower plant building, then um, maybe in another country they would be more favorable towards that. Um, so it is a very complex question and it would need thorough research to understand uh, where exactly we should develop and what. And do you think is this the role of the nation states or if this is the role of Brussels, the European institutions, who should initiate and facilitate this kind of studies and this kind of investigations? I think, first of all, perhaps the market, uh, because if the supply side understands that there is benefit to be derived from this, then they would start this kind of work. And also, I think there is a huge role in uh, there's a huge role attributed to the national governments as well, because they know their own populations the best. So um, it is um, their role to uh, make others understand, for example, why the Germans uh, would not prefer uh, nuclear power plants to be built on their national territory, while in Hungary we have uh, this problem with the hydropower plants. So uh, that is also, and in, in the cooperation side, the European Union obviously is going to have a very important part because that is the table where heads of states and governments can go to and negotiate about these things. So I, I would not... Um, emphasize only one uh, member of this game, but all of them combined because uh, cooperation is going to be the key in this struggle of, of uh, energy in the future. Yeah, so the developments of the energy markets in the European Union are in the hands of the national governments. So the national governments are the ones which really, you know, matters in this game. But as we are becoming more and more a unified market, I think we should some way delegate part of this to the level of the European Union. What I see as a kind of a problem also, it's the, what the English say, uh, NIMBY, not in my backyard issues. Uh, many rich countries are very much uh, you know, against of investments, energy investments in their own territory. Why, on the same time, they would like to enjoy, you know, the electricity and gas and, and oil supply. I think the best example is, is Germany in that respect. Uh, there are already plans for 15 years to build the so-called Nordic uh, electricity pipelines or electricity wires, which would connect the northern part of the country to the uh, industry in the south. In the north, you know, they have a lot of wind energy. In the south, they have a lot of uh, industry, south to uh, Stuttgart. Uh, and this uh, Nord Nordlink is already in discussion for 15 years. Everyone knows in Germany that the country needs that because they want to, if they want to develop the industry further in the south, they need more electricity. On the other side, the people are against these, uh, uh, you know, investments. They don't want to have these uh, electric wires 
either under the ground or above the ground. So this also slows down the development here. Both of you have mentioned Germany, and according to the original plan, not just Nord Stream 1, but Nord Stream 2 should be operating today at full capacity, ensuring Germany's gas supply. However, none of them works since the second pipeline was not turned on and the first is shut down by the Russians. On the contrary, the Turk stream is at full capacity. Are we witnessing a divide and conquer game by the Russians? Why do you think Russia treats Turkey differently than she treats Germany? I don't see any other reasons than political. So they want somehow to put a pressure on the German decision makers. They know that Germany has the highest influence within the European Union. Unfortunately, Germany, I think, did the uh, political and economic mistakes uh, that after the annexation of the Crimea back in February 2014, they decided to rely more on the Russian gas and they supported and promoted the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, and that's the way now uh, that comes, you know, 55% of the gas supply to Germany comes from uh, these two pipelines, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 from Russia. And there's a very high reliance on this and some way the Russians are, you know, blackmailing Germany with this supply. Um, the Turkish stream is probably less important for the Russians. On the other side, we should not forget that the Russians can have a revenue as long as they are supplying Europe. So I myself don't expect them to shut down completely the, the region, because in that case, they would not get any revenues from the gas sales. I also agree that Germany's uh, role in the European economy is an essential and incremental one. So. Um, we should pay attention to what happens to the German energy market because it might influence uh, every other European member state. Um, what I can add uh, to this is that uh, Germany has been uh, heavily investing into um, wind power energy uh, exploitation, especially on the north um, shores. Uh, currently, they have the most turbines uh, operating in Europe, and um, they have these these plans to build on a smaller scale what we would find preferable on a European uh, scale in terms of uh, wind power energy transmission. Um, and also in in Germany um, now the. Green Party has a very um, um, significant influence on what energy decisions are being uh, made. And, um, and I would say that that is also a reason why they try to, um, um, they try to um, create a more diverse energy mix in, in Germany. And also because they uh, they might feel that over-dependence on the Russian supply might uh, turn out to be difficult to manage in, in the future when it comes to their economy. And also now they, they are expecting to experience problems on the household levels as well, which might be problematic in in um, the political landscape of the country. You mentioned the household levels. Uh, currently, the Russian Federation is waging war against Ukraine. 
and the European Union seems to be engaging in an economic war with Russia. At the same time, the inflation rate is skyrocketing, overhead costs are rising, not only in Hungary, but in the Eurozone as well. How can governments protect their population? And how can the population upkeep its standard of living in such difficult times? Well, definitely we need to subsidize the people because these electricity and natural gas prices are simply not bearable for a very large portion of the society. So without help, people would be in such a dire situation, which is not nearly acceptable. So I expect generally this kind of uh, social aspects in Europe to increase due to the very high uh, energy prices. That's the only way that I can see uh, as a feasible solution. I myself believe that we should keep some way the market uh, mechanism. So the, the social subsidies should come on the top of that. I think it's not the wise policy to use the prices as a social tool and distort the market. So I think it's important in my view to keep the market as long as possible and build up the social subsidies next to the market mechanism. And coming back to the households, um, in terms of renewable energy, I find a very interesting phenomenon because solar power energy is more of a bottom-up process and bottom-up change in the energy markets. And that is very interesting because now that um, even some households won't be able to uh, buy the low-cost energy uh, provided so far by uh, Hungary, uh, households uh, started and families started to turn towards the solar power uh, solutions. And this is an interesting phenomenon because in no other energy um, source did people start to change their uh, habits or their um, uh, source, their, um, the source where the, their consumption might come. So uh, it is very interesting that there is such a solution now um, where the governments might not have to do a lot in order to change social perceptions. So is this the solution, put solar panels on every roof? No, I'm just saying that it is an interesting phenomenon related to this uh, question that I found during my research. Yeah, the consciousness of the people can increase significantly when they are participating in, uh, you know, generating electricity, either by having, you know, a solar uh, panel on their roof or taking, uh, you know, share in a renewable power plant, like a, power, like a wind power plant, for example. Unfortunately, it's not potentially the solution for the entire industry and for the entire country, because the energy need is not on the households only. Industry uh, sometimes, you know, consumes more, depends on the, uh, the state of the, the industry in a certain country. So, uh, but, but definitely it helps, you know, to channel some money from the population to these purposes. We man I mentioned that we need significantly more investment over here. And I think also people get more aware what the electricity is coming from. And that is something which we have to pay for to receive. If we focus on Central Europe and the V4 countries, we can see similarities, but also differences in their energy mixes. What are the most spectacular discrepancies and are there any holes in their system that may be filled by cooperation? 
Well, I don't see a significant difference of, of uh, the uh, energy mix within the region. Of course, there are some countries like Austria, which have much better opportunities in, in hydro, and they have a significantly high, uh, larger share of hydropower. But uh, the region itself is mostly, you know, lack of energy, and, and therefore we move more to the direction of renewables and nuclear power. Uh, and of course, in case of Poland, it's important to cut the uh, very large share of the coal. So these are the, this probably the only peculiarities, this is mainly Poland uh, in that respect, that they have still a significant and significant uh, generation coming from coal. Is this was it a political decision or why is that that for example Czechia, Slovakia, Hungary they operate nuclear power plants? We know that Austria that was the outcome of a public will, but Poland they do not and they heavily rely on coal, which they usually import or imported until recently from Poland. What 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 is behind of this decision? Is this an old uh, Soviet Polish uh, opponency or, or? I think it uh, has some historical reasons. I mean, every country was making uh, uh, you know uh, the the system what they had in their in their hands, and and Hungary was always you know lack of energy, so uh, nuclear was a good option. Of course, for nuclear you need a certain knowledge level. So uh, nuclear is not suitable for many countries where the education and, and, and the necessary number of uh, engineers are not present. And Hungary, fortunately, was good enough for that. Czech as well. I think Poland always had a lot of coal and this helped them, you know, to supply their system uh, and they didn't need it, the, the, the nuclear. However, as they are now part of the European Union and as they want to make their economy and generation much more green, they need, of course, uh, a nuclear power plant. This would be a kind of a way for them to lower the uh, proportion of the uh, the uh, uh, coal generation and increase the uh, uh, the greener or the non-CO2 uh, generation. And uh, these countries, the V4 countries, uh, they create a on certain issues, they create a coalition within the European Union. And sometimes there are these formations, the V4 plus one or plus two, uh, these countries that the V4 cooperate with. And why not uh, start such a cooperation on uh, the energy level as well? So uh, perhaps we could induce a change within uh, the V4 countries and then include um, another country from where we import and then we might export our nuclear uh, energy there. So uh, some sort of a, of a cooperation might start within uh, the V4 and that is why maybe differences in energy mixes can also be a good thing within a region. In the following months, Slovakia will start operating a new reactor, the third unit of the Mochovce nuclear power plant. In Hungary, the enlargement of the Paksh nuclear power plant has been a central topic for a decade. On the other hand, Germany has closed down many of its such power plants and talks about a nuclear-free transition. What do you think can be the future of nuclear energy? And are renewables able to fill its place in the system? Well, I see a kind of a renaissance in, in the nuclear development in the world. Uh, there are companies in the United States or in Britain or in China, for example, TerraPower in, in the United States on new scale, 
they plan modular-based uh, nuclear plants with significant cost advantages and with advanced technology, which can help you know to uh, solve the most critical part of the nuclear energy. I mean uh, the safety issues as well as the cost issues. So I think uh, if these developments are taking place and they, if they are successful, we can see a significant uh, increase in the number of uh, nuclear uh, power plants in the, in the world, especially in those countries where the population is uh, uh, happy with the nuclear and the population you know, accepts the nuclear power plant. We see that uh, due to it ideological issues, some countries are against nuclear power. So for them, probably it, it won't be a solution. I think that renewables cannot replace nuclear energy 100%. So if countries can allow to build nuclear facilities um, and if they can make sure that they are safe, uh, then I think that that is also a feasible tool um, towards transition, towards uh, energy transition, because uh, it's it's not um, it has no CO two emissions, like for example, gas and and um, uh, oil. So um, nuclear energy is going to be very important in the energy sector in Europe in the the upcoming decades, I would say, um, and. Maybe so. In nuclear energy, France is is uh, very advanced in in Europe, but not even France is on a level that would be preferable in this uh, in this case. So investment is extremely important in nuclear energy as well as in other forms of energy exploitation. Um, but it is it is a good thing to. Um, create a very diverse energy mix in every country. So if they have the means to develop nuclear energy and at the same time develop uh, renewable energy as well, that is the best case scenario. Let's get back to renewables. According to some sources in Hungary, annually, solar panels produce more energy than the Pax nuclear power plant. Uh, this data was unimaginable a few years ago. Uh, do you think there is any space to continue this development? In, in renewable uh, exactly. energy in Hungary? I definitely think so, uh, because we have a great potential in this sector. Uh, but we, um, because of social constraints and um, uh, economic constraints as well, we weren't able to exploit them to the maximum level. Um, Hungary is in a very good position when it comes to wind power generation, for example, but uh, most of the turbines that we use were installed in the 2000s, so they reflect the technology of, of those years. Uh, and this is why only on the um, northwest uh, countryside of Hungary can we use these uh, turbines effectively. While higher towers might be spread on all over our national territory, um, in the case of solar energy, we could do better, but our climate might not allow that. Um, in Hungary, 
we have an average of uh, 2,200, 2,300 uh, of sunshine hours a year. Sometimes uh, it's 2,500. It means that around there, there are around 100 days a year when the solar power pan, uh, the solar panels can um, uh, can work um, properly. And um, this is this can only be improved this production by installing more. Uh, panels because there won't be more sunshine uh, obviously um, and in uh, hydropower energy as we have already mentioned there is a social scruple um, against this this kind of energy in Hungary but as we are in the Carpathian Basin and there are um, many rivers that might provide uh, hydropower energy we might want to uh, think again about uh, this kind of uh, of an energy. The hydropower potential of Hungary is a thousand megawatts. Uh, so, um, and seventy two percent of this could be uh, could be extracted from the Danube alone. So the Danube as a river uh, has a huge potential. Um, but of course, we have to think of environmental uh, considerations as well, because um, because while we are trying to uh, create a net zero emission economy, we should keep in mind why we want to do that for protecting the environment and um, and restraining the climate change as much as we can. So um, we should keep in mind the general objective before starting to invest into things that might turn out to be uh, detrimental to the environment. I would add a few things here. I mean, first of all, I think nuclear and renewable can coexist very well in Central and Eastern Europe. The, the nuclear is very good for the baseload uh, generation, especially in those countries where hydro is not available or where we don't want you know, use coal for this. So uh, I would say this is a good area to, to have a nuclear and I, I promote and I support Hungary to have a nuclear energy. Uh, renewable can also be a very good thing. And as I said, you know, they ca it can cause or coexist with the, with the nuclear together, especially when we have a large system, what Europe is building up. In Hungary, uh, solar is already very developed. I think uh, due to political reasons, uh, the wind energy had some uh, had some negative uh, development, or we, or or it was lagging the development. This might be a big opportunity now to open the market for uh, the wind energy. And I see also two areas which are interesting, like hydro. We talked a lot on this. Uh, if we can overcome the political hindrance, we can have a, a potential in, in hydro. And finally, uh, geothermal energy, I would uh, mention. Geothermal is probably not for electricity generation, but for heating purposes, Hungary has good uh, opportunities. Uh, I think uh, the future energy mix of this country would be uh, based on, on these elements. At the end of our discussion, I would like to hear your personal opinion. Do you see our near future shining or hard times are waiting for us? Definitely the next five years, uh, they're going to take significantly higher energy prices. 
some areas like natural gas for example i think the market is right now exaggerated so i i expect this you know 2 300 uh, euro per megawatt hour gas prices to come lower in the future but definitely we will not go back to the pre 2020 levels where you know natural gas prices were around 20 25 euro per megawatt hour uh, it's going to be higher, which is going to put a big burden on the population. On the other side, I see a lot of positive changes with that. We are not going to waste this energy. So, I'm, I mean, in Hungary and, and generally in the Western world, we waste so much the energy because it's cheap. If it's not cheap, if it's expensive, people will, will take care not to overuse their cars, their electric vehicles, their electric equipments, or, or generally, you know, the, they would save on heating, they would insulate their houses. These are the areas which, where we have a lot to do. And I think uh, these high prices will boost these developments. So we will be significantly uh, more conserving, you know, these energies, uh, not to overuse it, what I have seen or I had seen in the last 10 years. In my opinion, we are... Um, at the beginning of a huge transition period. So that is also a very difficult time and transition is never easy. So when there is something that is comfortable now and we know that it will be scarce in the future, for example, fossil fuels, then uh, transitioning from fossil fuels to something else can be difficult to adapt to. Uh, and also, uh, I'm I'm optimistic in the way that uh, if there is uh, a crisis, there are going to be solutions. So um, there are going to be investments, there are going to be uh, inventions, new inventions that might help this transition um, uh, period. So I would say that it is going to be a different kind of an energy market in the next couple of, of decades. And we should find a way to adapt to that and also trying to uh, not to be too hard on, on the people because if they are favorable towards this transition now, we don't want to turn them against it when, um, when we ask things that might not be feasible. Fanny Korpic, Tamás Pletcher, thank you for sharing your valuable thoughts with our audience. This was the Matter of Perspective geopolitical podcast series of the Danube Institute. If you'd like to listen to more content like this, stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. You will be able to find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts and iTunes. Please follow our social media channels to be informed of our new research materials and upcoming events. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.